the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Um, good morning, everybody. Right, forgive me, I'm just uh, going to rearrange a second. Uh, my name is uh, Johnny Baker. It's my privilege uh, to speak this morning. I'm a member here, also a part of the leadership team. And if it's your first time this morning, um, a huge welcome for you. Apologies, uh, this is useful. I'm not just rearranging the furniture randomly. Uh, we'll see this in a moment. Uh, it's my privilege to speak on our Come and See series. Uh, we are looking over the course of 12 months at John's Gospel. Before we get into it, um, I just want to tell you about this man, um, uh, a bit of family news for you. Um, appreciate that um, when we were in lockdown on YouTube, you saw this man's face a lot if you were with us a few years ago. It's a guy called Sam Page. And, um, and it's like, where's Sam gone? He's vanished. We came back from lockdown and he's vanished. Well, in lockdown, Sam met a lady and um, Sam got married yesterday to the lovely Tash. And just mentioning that because since COVID, when COVID's comes and goes. We sometimes miss people, but they got married. Play for them as they start their married journey together. Um, John's Gospel, come and see. We're on chapter 8, verses 12 to 30 this morning. You may want to turn to it, scroll to it, whatever you, you want. We'll look at that in a moment. More, in a moment. Uh, warning, this is a long intro, so we won't get to that but there's, I hope there's good, we'll get to it, we will. But there's good reasons we won't get there immediately, uh, as you'll see in a moment, hopefully. Um, a few weeks ago, Gemma, brilliantly, wherever Gemma is, brilliantly helped us look at the start of chapter 8, a really challenging passage. And she helped us look at the authenticity of it um, and things around that. And she lent on a verse from the end of John's Gospel in chapter 20, verse 30. To help us grasp it, she said, Jesus performs many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And she helped us understand that we can use the principles of that story with confidence. Now, this morning, when we look at chapter 8, 12 to 30, we're going to use the very next verse as kind of an anchor for us that will help us. This is what it says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What's great about that, that verse is that John tells us exactly why he wrote his book. Isn't it lovely when an author goes, I'm writing this because of this, and this is why I'm writing it. And John tells us, I'm writing this so that you might know who Jesus is. Every story, every encounter that he puts in there is to demonstrate who Jesus is. It's to give us evidence for him. And I hope as you've been through this series, whether we've had a, a table over here, a big a well here, and all sorts of stuff, we're seeing that Jesus just changed changes things. Jesus brings life. He brings hope. He brings joy. He turns hopeless situations into brilliant situations. And everything that we're doing in the whole of this series, we just need to constantly remember that we anchor back to John 20, 31. Everything we look at, everything we study together has that purpose in mind. You might remember if you were with us at the start of the series when we're looking at John 1, um, that in John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming in the distance and he goes, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus then comes over and goes, come and see. Let's go on an adventure uh, and look together. And uh, what we're going to see in this passage and in a lot of passages in the weeks to come is that 
this John 20, 31 is going to intensify. It's almost like, I've turned it off sound, people, don't worry. Um, it's, all, it's almost like John's got a megaphone in the next few weeks because time and time and time again, we're going to hear John basically go, Jesus is the Messiah. He really is. He's the Son of God. I'm writing this so that you know he's the Son of God. And one of the ways that John does that is he's got seven very, very famous I am statements in the gospel. Now, you may or may not know that they're famous. You may not know that they're even in John. Don't worry, there's no background knowledge ever required to be in this place. We'll help you with it all together. So the seven I am statements are this. Jesus comes along and he says these quite famous things. Lots of people will know some of these. I'm the bread of life, light of the world, and so on. They're statements that Jesus made about himself and in the 21st century, probably seems a little bit random, doesn't it? 21st century is that they seem sort of slightly stranger metaphors. But if you were a first century listener, they would have been absolute lightning bolts to you because they would, those people around would have known their history well. In addition to that, Jesus also made all of these declarations at certain times and certain places that gave them added significance. We'll come to that a little bit later, um, but we need to go back to the Old Testament to work out the historical significance of these statements, why these I am's that Jesus is saying in John's gospel are so important. In the second book of the Bible, in Exodus chapter 3, God reveals himself to Moses with the name Yahweh, I am. And um, when Moses asked God how he should respond, so the Israelites want to know how to, what to call God, um, uh, God says this. He says, tell them, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus comes along all these years later and declares again and again and again, I am, I am, I am. He's claiming John 2031. He's saying he's the Messiah. He's saying he's the son of God. Uh, but there's more than that because the seven I am's that I've mentioned here that might be quite famous, what you may or may not know is that there's other I am's in John's gospel. If these are the big I am's, there's some subtle I am's in John's gospel as well. So why are they subtle? Well, these ones are used to explicitly introduce a, a metaphor. I am, I am all that sort of stuff. These ones are just Jesus going, I am, or it is I, I am. And there's seven of them as well. So there's seven big I ams and there's seven subtler I ams. And really what should be happening now, if you were a first century listener, is the cumulative effect of all these things going on in, in Exodus and in John's John, you should be seeing um, a lot more of this. Oh, that's what should be happening as people kind of join their dots together. Unfortunately, we see a lot of that, perfectly honest. And sadly, if you've been tracking this, you'll, you'll know we see a lot of this. Right where we are in the gospel now, there are people trying to kill Jesus. Instead of doing that, they're actually doing that and they're doing that. And it's really, really sad. Now, why am I telling you this 7-7 seven, seven thing? I promise you it's not because I'm a math teacher and I love the fact that it's just 7 and 7. Not like that at all. I think both of these are vital, absolutely vital for us. You see, um, the, the, the big I am's, the ones that we're familiar with over here, these ones tell us how good Jesus is. They tell us that he 
provides. He is light. He is uh, the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's a shepherd. How good he is. These ones, the subtle ones over here, they tell us how great Jesus is. I am. In 4.26, you might remember that was the woman at the well. And, she, and Jesus just, she's going, are you the Messiah? And he goes, I am. Uh, John 6.20, um, it's all kicking off. Jesus is, they're on the water. Everyone's afraid and, and uh, in a panic. And Jesus goes, it is I. It's me. So what we have is these great ones and these good ones as well. And they're so important. And whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time for you today, I just need you to know both of these things. Both of them. We unashamedly talk about Jesus a lot in this place. Why? Because we believe he's the saviour of the world. We believe he came to earth, he lived, he died, he rose again. And in doing so, he smashed the permanence of death into little pieces. And praise God, because he is perfect, he is good, and he is great. He is merciful, he is mighty. He's kind, he's strong as well. He's willing to help us. And he's able to help us too. And those things are really important. And both of them are really important. I've just got one question, really. What's the balance of that like in your life? That probably seems like quite a strange question. But it is important. It's really important. Just take like prayer, for example. Um, If you're someone who is um, confident in these ones and you're praying, you know that God can do it. But you don't know if he cares. You don't know if he even wants to answer or is even willing to. If you're someone who in your life lives on this side and you know that God is so loving and and good, you, you know he wants to answer, but you don't know if he can answer those prayers. And that's why both of these are so important. Someone recently said this, if God was just great, it would not be good. If God was just good, it would not be great. Praise God that he is both great and good. Because he's good, he'll not tra- he will not tolerate evil. Because he is great, he will triumph over it. And the question is, what's the balance like? If you're closer um, over here, it's great that you know that he is good, but don't forget that he is awesome and he is powerful and he's mighty. If you're over here and you know how brilliant and powerful he is, don't forget that he's kind and he's loving and he cares for you. And what we really want in our lives, really, is, and I'm, whoever's on camera, unlucky, I'm so sorry, I'm going to make it a lot easier now, we'll put it together. We need both of these in our lives. We need to know both of them and together. I told you that was going to be a long intro, let's read the passage. Um, here comes John chapter 8. Uh, the reason I did that is that all of these are coming up in the next few weeks. We need to know both of them. And in our passage, you can see today, we've got three. We've got one of these and two of these. So let's have a look together. John 8, 12 to 30. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. But you, you have no idea where I came from, I come from, or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. 
In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. Then they asked him, where's your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also, son of God. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will will he he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am here, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Come and see. Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. For they did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, not very long this morning, but please would you, like the Lord Jesus does, just illuminate. Where we are confused, bring clarity. Where there is darkness, bring light. Thank you that we can freely do this together. We know places in the world can't. Help us to make the most of our time together and focus clearly on the Lord Jesus, the light of the world. Amen. Uh, Here's a question for you. Have you ever been in or experienced complete darkness? Complete darkness. Utter darkness. Now, the reason I ask that is that I don't think many people, or all people, have. Um, The darkness that you're used to at night, you shut the curtains and you go to bed, there's probably, I'm guessing, there might be some light that cuts through from street lights. There might be the glow of charging devices or machines left on standby. There's something. There's not complete and utter darkness, no light whatsoever. Um, I've only experienced it once, and it was with a, a member of this congregation, and it wasn't Hannah, uh, believe it or not. It was Drew Rawson. Um, uh, sorry, Drew, I'm about to share this story. Um, we went on holiday a number of years ago to France uh, with a group of mates. I ended up sharing a room with Drew. To cut the long story short, uh, on the first night, uh, gone to bed, and we'd forgotten to shut the Velux window at the top, the, the blind on that. Uh, something happened, I can't remember, I think I lost rock, paper, scissors or something like that. Anyway, it was my job to get out of bed and go and, go and pull this thing. And I pulled this Velux window shut, and then I started going back to my bed. You know that moment when it goes dark and your eyes try to get something... Nothing. Like literally nothing is appearing in my light. So I stand there for a little bit and nothing. And at this point, I just start to freak out because I've never experienced darkness like this. I no long, don't know how long I stood there for. Um, it felt like 10 minutes, but it was probably about 90 seconds or something like that. At which point I, sh- I said, Drew, are you still there? <laughs> um, and the reply came, yeah, you. Um, <laughs> I don't really know how we solved the problem, but I either clattered into bed or we somehow opened it. It was horrible. It was really, really horrible. For the rest of the holiday, we didn't do that. I'm not shutting that Velux window ever again. And 
utter darkness is not nice. And the image of Jesus as light of the world um, may be lost on us in the 21st century because, to be honest, we take light for granted, I think, most of us. There's lights on now, aren't there? It's, at some point tonight, I'm sure the vast majority of us will flick a switch and some lights will come on. Light is not such a precious commodity. In the first century, though, when the sun went down, you didn't have a switch. It wasn't as simple as that, was there? Uh, absolutely, you could light a fire, you could strike a match, and put, or you could do a candle or something like that. But in general, you couldn't do these things. So Jesus comes into a first century audience and goes, I'm the light of the world. Immediately, it's more important to them. They're logging that I am as well, hopefully, and going, wow, this is, this is a big deal. But there's more to it as well. Don't forget the context of where this passage is happening. Jesus is, John 8 is set during the Feast of Tabernacles. If you can't remember more about that, Paul beautifully helped us with that a few weeks ago. Paul helped us think about the significance of that festival. And the festival of tabernacles helped the Jewish people essentially remember that God had given them three things, shelter, water, and light. And during this festival, there was a great ceremony called the illumination of the temple, um, which helped them remember, the Jewish people, a, a significant historical moment. In the Old Testament, God had delivered his people from slavery in Egypt to uh, the promised land and to guide them through the wilderness at night towards their homeland, God had sent a pillar of fire to tell them where to go. And uh, years later in the, t- uh, in the illumination, oh sorry, not that one, the illumination of the temple, uh, there was this celebration uh, moment of that. Now nowadays, um, lots of the largest theme parks in the world, that's Euro Disney, At night, they have these spectacular night shows, don't they? Uh, The idea is simple. Darkness descends, and against the backdrop of darkness, you fling light into the air, and it looks incredible. Back in the first century, they had to improvise a little. Not so easy to do that, and I don't think they did that. Um, But they did have this thing called the illumination of the temple, and it involved the lighting. Uh, Drew, don't panic. I haven't set this up as an illustration now. Um, Because it involved four golden oil-fed lamps in the court of women, and the lamps were 75 foot high, menorahs, candelabras, and they were lit at night uh, to remind them of this pillar of fire. There they are. There's four there, if you can see them. And they were 75 foot high. Uh, now, there's a, uh, the Jewish tradition ha- has put together some, like we've got the Bible, the Jewish tradition has put something together called the Mishnah, uh, which is a, a collection of uh, Jewish oral traditions. In the Mishnah, there's a book called uh, the Sukkot, and in chapter 5, it tells us about this. And it tells us about this big show. Um, sorry, not show, this, fe- this, uh, um, this sort of ceremony, yeah. At the end of each festival day of the Festival of Tabernacles, the priests and Levites went down to the women's courtyard and there were golden candle holders there with four gold bowls on their tops and four ladders for each candlestick and four young priests, so that's 16 in the four places, with jars of oil. They'd climb up the ladders and pour the oil into each bowl. Next sentence is amazing. Out of the worn-out undergarments and girdles of the priests, lovely, isn't it? Uh, they made wicks, and with them, they lit the candlesticks. So it's a massive... Sp- oh, I couldn't do it. I've tried all week to work out how to do it. I couldn't do it. And they're doing this. But the next sentence is the key one that comes now. Because when they do this, they say, let's set it alight. And there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem which was not lit up from the light. 
That last sentence is key. Because with a backdrop of this unbelievable light show, Jesus stands in this space and he goes, I am the light of the world. Don't worry about this this, this list of I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The timing, the imagery, the significance of what Jesus was saying wouldn't have been lost on first century listeners. And I hope and pray that this is not lost on us today. There it is. That's a big claim. A really, really big claim. It wasn't lost on the Pharisees. They were trying to kill him and uh, they were just intent on that. So what we see in the rest of the passage that we read a moment ago is this back and forth between the Pharisees and Jesus. Uh, The Pharisees wanted to know, how on earth, Jesus, can you make a claim like that? Who on earth do you think you are? And then kind of quite often a tactic of the Pharisees was look at the technicalities. I'm going to get you on this one. And uh, there's a lot of stuff there about the fact that Jesus doesn't have any witnesses. You can't just say that. Someone can back you up. And Jesus goes, I've got someone who can back me up. He's pretty good. He's my father. And you don't know my father, but he's, well, he's got something about him, my father. Anyway, the, the, it goes back and forth. Now, you would hope that as Jesus explains these things, we hope that we would get... Uh, But no, (laughs) we don't get these kind of get it moments uh, with the Pharisees. But we do, don't we, get, some people get this. Did you spot that? I held it at the last verse. We do get some people doing that. Verse 30 is beautiful, isn't it? Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Now, in house groups um, this week, you're going to be looking at the actual discourse between the two. So you're going to see as, as Jesus talks and then the Pharisees talk and then go back and forth to just unpick exactly what's going on there. Um, but in the short time I have, I, I really just want to squarely focus on just verse 12. Apologies if you feel let down. I'll chat to you about it if you want more details. But this is such an important verse. And all I want to do is I want to be as simple as possible in the few minutes I have left. I just want us to focus on the word light, on the word the, and the words whoever follows me. Okay? I think all of us uh, will be okay with that light, the, whoever follows me. That's all it is. promise you it's really, really simple. And uh, I don't want to do anything complex because we've got to get this verse. We have to understand this verse um, because uh, if we don't understand, for example, the word light then we won't get the metaphor, will we? So we've got to understand it. And this is outrageously simple, um, but we've got to know what light does, okay? Light gives life, first of all. I'm not a scientist. I remember very little from biology, but I do know that light is key for you to grow something. If you want your petunias, if you want your daffodils and your crocuses to grow, you need to have light. No light, no life. It will not grow. As well as that, I know that light reveals things, doesn't it? Uh, You've probably at some point in life watched a TV program or film and there's sinister music playing and it's dark and then suddenly the light comes on and, oh, that's, oh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah. Light reveals. Another thing that light does is it guides. There is nothing worse in the world, is there, than falling over or stubbing your toe on the way to the toilet in the night. And um, light just helps you get to your destination. Uh, At night, we turn our car lights on so we can see where we're going. One other obvious thing that light does, it banishes fear, doesn't it? I think we'd agree that generally bad things happen at night, don't they? That's why, um, if I've not got my phone on me, if you've got a phone, uh, lots of people have apps on their phone for if they're walking in the dark now to make sure that they can alert people. And when we've got light, it banishes fear. That's not rocket science. 
but it is important. And I really, really want to make this point, so can I just flip it as well? Just let's think for a sec about what happens if you don't have light. Well, without light, you cannot see where you're going. <laughs> Sorry, um, think of me in the pitch dark in the chat, no, don't. Um, but you, can't, you just don't have a clue where you're going. Now, I, for the last minute and a half, I've spoken trivially. Trivially, I can't even say the word. Um, I'm going to speak more seriously now, because Jesus is not talking about physical light here. He's talking about spiritual light. He's talking about the fact that he is the only person that can illuminate spiritual darkness. Without him, we don't know who we are. We don't know why we're here. We don't know where we're going. We have no clue what happens when we die. But when Jesus is about, he makes sense of the world. He brings some light. Also, without light, you can't see who you are. Before I left the house this morning, I did, despite what it may may think, I did look in the mirror. I checked that there was not tea or cornflakes down here. I checked there wasn't toothpaste anywhere. I, I checked that, you know, that my shirt matched my trap. No, Hannah did that. Um, and, and I just made sure. I used the light to see, who we are, see who I, what I look like. You need light to have self-awareness, though. But Jesus is saying, spiritually, without Jesus, it's dark. And you can't see who you are. We don't know the way we are truly, spiritually, without, without Jesus. Another thing is, without light, you can't truly understand what is right. I alluded to it a moment ago, but people who are in physical darkness, they do bad things. That's why, um, I think that's why discos are in the dark. Um, there's some terrible dancing that should never be seen. No, um, It's a kind of cover, isn't it, the dark? It's, it's a restraint. Our restraint is diminished in the dark. When we believe we can't be seen, we find ourselves doing things that we would never do otherwise. And Jesus says that's the same for everyone. We lack the spiritual light to truly know how to live in the right way. Now, I've not, that's, none of that's rocket science at all. Can you see how important light is? We can't live without it. We just can't. Without light, we're in trouble. And the beautiful things that light reveals, like life, like um, it guides, it banishes fear. We need it. And then I need to draw your attention to the word the. I am the light of the world. Jesus does not say that. Jesus doesn't say that he's a light of the world. Jesus says that he is the light of the world. The claim is this. Jesus says he's the only one who can shed spiritual light on our lives. He's the only one that will make sense of the mess. And without him, the lights are off and we're in darkness. That's a big claim. Uh, last week, we had our big church day together in this place. And it was great to welcome that man back to this place, Derek Burnside. Sadly, our family, we couldn't make the day, but I've caught up online already uh, with what Derek said. He was his usual brilliant self. Catch it up on our website, you can get it. Uh, in the morning, he helped us unpack this phrase called in Christ. It's used a lot in the Bible, but it sounds like a strange phrase and he, it's brilliant. It's well worth 30 minutes uh, of your time to listen to it. Uh, Derek said this one phrase that really caught my attention as he said it. And when you're in Christ, it's like you follow Christ, you're a believer and you, you live for Jesus. And he said this, the safest place in the cosmos is in Christ. 
The safest place in the cosmos, everything, is in Christ. I love that. That is brilliant. We live in challenging times, don't we? And we all face challenges and difficulties of various degrees. I've no idea what you personally face. I know what I face, but they're all different for us. But I do know this. The safest place in the cosmos is in Christ. Following Jesus, living for Jesus, is the safest and the greatest thing that any human being could ever do. And why is it so safe? Well, it's safe because if Jesus is the light of the world, then he is the only place where you will be in the light. If Jesus Christ is the light of the world, then he is the only person who can make a human being truly safe. He's the only place where there's life. He's the only place where you can be guided. He's the only place where you can have fear completely banished. He makes sense of all the big questions in life. Now, I'm really, really conscious that in this room, and maybe online now or maybe online in the future, there'll be people who don't follow Jesus. You don't know who Jesus is. And we say this every week, and we mean it. You're welcome here, and you'll always be welcome here. And we want you to be truly safe. We really, really do. We're desperate for you to have life. We are desperate for you to not fear death. We are desperate for you to know the eternal hope and joy and love that only Jesus brings. The light that only he brings. And the good news is that that is on offer for you today. How do I know that? Last three words. Jesus says, whoever follows me. The reason I confidently say you're welcome here is the word whoever. Jesus doesn't say this, does he? He doesn't say, I'm the light of the world, whoever owns over 30,000 per annum. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say whoever is respectable and well thought of. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm the light of the world, whoever is like you. Ever. No, he doesn't say that either. He doesn't say those things. He says, whoever follows me. That is about as open an invitation as you could ever possibly get. I'm out of time. I need to stop and I'll hand over to Sarah. Um, but just those words, just one very quick thing. Jesus doesn't say that if you follow him, that life will always be a bed of roses and will be perfect. That's not what that says. There will be times when it is hard. We will all still suffer heartache and loss. But he is saying that there's nowhere safer in the cosmos than the light of Jesus. Jesus gives light. He reveals He guides, he banishes fear. Without him, we don't know where we're going. We can't see who we are. And we don't know what is right or wrong. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. We're going to celebrate and remember that in a moment. If you don't follow him, we would love you to consider following him. We would love it. Come and chat, come and talk, because it will be the greatest decision you will ever make in your life, ever, ever. And if you do know Jesus, want it just to know this morning is, how brilliant is he? You might be facing huge hardship, but you have a God who is great. You have a God who is good. He is able to help you and he is willing to help you. And praise God for who he is. I'm going to leave you with this quote from a guy called Sam Albury. He's an author and speaker. And he tweeted something the other week that made me smile. Um, as a family, we've just had a, like, quite a difficult few weeks. I think it's just been tough for everyone at various moments. And this kind of resonated. And uh, Jack and I just now have a little saying back and forward um, based on this. And he tweeted this. In this world, you're only as good as your last deal or your last performance or your last movie. 
I know what's coming. Or your last win. Uh, with the gospel of Jesus, you only have to be good as, as good as your saviour. Isn't that good to know? So Jack says to me, how's your saviour? And I go, he's doing just fine. And then we go our separate ways and we face our various challenges. And he is doing fine. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is good. Jesus is great. And the safest place in the entire cosmos is the light of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that the Lord Jesus came, that he is good and he is great. Father, thank you so much that the Lord Jesus gives life, that the Lord Jesus guides, that he banishes fear. Father, thank you that in dark times he brings light. Father, help us to share this incredible news. Thank you that the Lord Jesus died and rose again. We remember that together now. And help us to live for him and to bring this light to this world, we pray. Amen.